quite a thrill to see that play in front of the a film that I've made. So here we go. So Chuck Michael, our sound designer, we wanted to sort of, I guess, set up the mood of where we were headed with the film, but at the very beginning of this movie, because there are so many changes in terms of the tone of this of this piece, and it's very much a fairy tale at the beginning. But we wanted just to give a sense of where this film and where the story was going with the sound here. And of course, that title is so iconic that uh, we needed to, to give it some sort of fanfare on the end. It's often the way that I think when you're making films, you have to always find a, a suitable representative of a, of a location you truly want to shoot in. It would have been wonderful to have shot this in Africa, but uh, time and money didn't allow for that. And then coming in pretty quickly in the film, I mean, it was always our intention to show these apes on introduction in such a way that we'd really believe in them from a subjective point of view, much like a sort of documentary, a wildlife documentary. So um, these are 100% CGI apes. It's quite extraordinary. <laughs> And of course, the idea was to try and not only bookend the film, but sort of, I guess, echo the uh, the beginnings of the original movie in terms of when we first saw the humans and the idea of the nets and the cornfields. And, you know, this is the oppressor hunting the oppressed. <laughs> and that's the capture of Bright Eyes and her being sort of plucked from her natural habitat. And obviously that's the natural habitat that in our story is a place where, you know, it's a place that represents paradise, a place that represents, you know, nature and, and where these apes truly belong. And a place where Caesar wants to get back to. And there we see the transition from, from the natural eyeball and the colorization of Bright Eyes' eyes to the bright eyes of the green of the drug that she's been given. It's always our hope and my intention working with Andrew Lesney, the DP, to just to keep everything moving at the beginning of the movie. There's so much discovery and, and this sort of, this eureka moment. And this is actually something that we shot during post-production, in fact. We went back and we, we shot this scene because we felt like we really needed the moment of discovery, the moment for Will Rodman, played by James, to discover, you know, after all of this work and these years of development, he sees the fact that the drug that he's developing does in fact work. Ship number nine, just one dose. I know seeing you later. We're good to go. I'm gonna call you back. Yeah, all right, thanks, bye. 112, it works. On just the one primate. One is all we need. Full cognitive recovery. We're ready. Look, are you sure you're not rushing this? I've been working on this for five and a half years. The data's clear. We're ready, Stephen. 
All I need is your approval for human trials. Well, for this, you're gonna need the board's approval. It's interesting watching this with James. You know, it's it's funny. It's like I set out to make as as reality-based story as I possibly could, and um, you know, everyone thinks, I guess, of Planet of the Apes and their preconceptions of what that is as being a perhaps slightly camp and and um, you know the heightened reality of it. And so, someone like James Franco, you have you have the opportunity to to keep everything plausible based in reality because he's. He's very truthful as an actor. He doesn't do anything that he doesn't believe in. And you sort of see that already here. He's He doesn't look like one, but he is very much an everyman. Peg to peg, without placing a larger block on top of a smaller block. As expected, she was unable to complete the puzzle at all. Then we gave her what we call... This is the uh, presentation room. Our idea from the get-go is the, uh, the creating this screen that uh, was a screen that you could, um, was, was, was translucent and you could see through into the rest of the laboratory and obviously that plays a part in what is about to happen here. We call it the cure to Alzheimer's. Donnie, you get her ready? She's got stage fright. Is that what it is? We wanted to keep everything at the beginning of this movie, not, not just because it's a summer blockbuster, but just, just for the purposes of the narrative, just keep everything moving, you know, all the time, just keep everything building and, and uh, sort of I guess pace it in such a way that builds and builds and builds and then in the first act, uh, in the first 25 minutes, we have the opportunity to breathe a little bit more and, and see um, see the development of uh, of the offspring that we're about to reveal in terms of Bright Eyes' baby. Move on to the next phase, uh, human trials. There you go, Bright Eyes. Chimpanzees love sugar, they love fizzy drinks, um, captive ones, and uh, the research we did, Gatorade was their favorite. Come on out, girl. That's right. That's for you. That's for you. This is all set. A wonderful set built by Claude Perret, our production designer. And a really good example, I guess, in a way, of what we were doing that is the first, which is using performance capture. This is all performed by Terry Notary, who plays uh, plays Bright Eyes. But it's all performed by an actor live on our stage, interacting with these human characters. And uh, that's something that's been done before, certainly in previous films, but um, but never to to the extent of what we were attempting to do, which is essentially scene by scene. Every every scene in this movie that that involves apes, they are there performed by actors. Bright Eyes. You'll see when we bring her in. In theory, this therapy can be used to treat a wide range of brain disorders. It's virtually limitless. As are the potential profits, which is why... We were mixing it up here. We were sort of mixing between set and location. Um, just to create this, uh, the oh, uh, in she comes. But just to sort of create the the origin of uh, Genesis, this laboratory that sort of sets in motion the whole chain of events. And that sound there in the score, we wanted to, we just wanted to show. I mean, almost immediately we were on the side of the apes, how noble they are, and and what we are capable of doing to them. And that's the real challenge with this movie. It's to sort of make make it clear to, to the viewer that, you know, whose side are we on? Without painting humanity in such a negative or pantomime light. So there's real humans in, in the in the human parts of the story. I guess Dr. Jacobs is not one of them. Attachments. Yeah. 
I run a business, not a petting zoo. Find the most cost-effective way to put those apes down. I can't do that. You're the chimp handler. Handle it. One of my favorite lines. Well, that was fun. They've taken the 112. The board have rejected your proposal. They've chosen to advance other programs. Well, there must be something that you can do. Yes, there is. I could fire you. Believe me, we talked about it. We have five years of conclusive data. Parade all the data you want. You will never convince anyone to invest another dime. This drug has the potential to save lives. Bankrupt this company, more like. I swear, you know everything about the human brain except the way it works. David Oyuelo, he's a, he's a terrific actor. He, he's, he's somebody who I knew from, from British TV. He's now working his way up the, up the ladder of Hollywood. He's a great performer. He really understands timing and comedy as well as much as drama. It was a real pleasure working with him, really inspirational. So this is the sad inevitability of the shutdown of the program, the, the death of the other chimps, the euthanasia, I guess you could call it, of the other chimpanzees. And um, Franklin, played by Tyler, um, Tyler Labine, he is our, our guide, I guess, in our introduction to the young Caesar. He's the one who discovers him. So that's why she wasn't being aggressive, she was just being protective? She thought we were going to hurt her baby. I wanted to just costumize. I wanted to sort of differentiate the primatologist in the lab with the scientist. So, so as you see, Tyler wears green, and all the other scientists are in blue. You want me to take it home? I can't take care of a monkey. He's not a monkey. He's an ape. Franklin, no, I just you know, it's, it's just for a couple days until I find a sanctuary. That's all I need. Franklin, no. Look, this isn't my responsibility. This is this is company property. Okay. Let me tell you what, Doc. Jacobs made me put down the other 12. I'm done. In terms of performance, I thought these two did a terrific job here. Because it's a lot of it's a lot of eye contact, it's a lot of sense of guilt, responsibility, all of that sort of stuff. And it's a real sense of betrayal from, from Franklin there um, as to what he's been forced to do. Choice lies with Will now, and, and this is the choice he makes. This is a set that we built in uh, in Vancouver. The front of the house, uh, the pulling up, is is all uh, all on location. But this was another terrific set built by Claude and his team, which sort of is very true to the townhouses of, of Russian Hill and, and those sort of areas in San Francisco. Oh, well, it might be good for him. Good night. Beloved music teacher. That's, uh, I don't know if you're blinking, you miss it, but that's the idea was just to show the contrast between what he once was and what he is now. Dad? Will! Hi. I didn't hear you come in. Today's the day, right? You thought I'd forget you. You have a big test today, right? Chemistry. John's one of those actors, again, I think he's... He's, he's able to just act with the eyes, you know, he's, he's incredibly expressive and there's a great deal going on in his face at all times. Some actors, I think, are reactors. He's, he's a performer. He's somebody who drives a scene. What is that? He's, is he injured? No, I think that's a birthmark. 
That's one of the few places where Andy didn't perform Caesar. We couldn't fit him in the box. But uh, what Weta did actually is we used newborn baby footage to reference and just get that kind of that jittery, slightly sort of uncontrolled limb movement that you see often in babies. And they also had to manipulate that towel as well around him and a great deal of work involved in that shot. The real challenge here was we had a pretty short period of time to show the transformation of Will. He's a scientist who calls these chimps by number at the beginning of the film and he's a little distant, aloof. He's driven by his, his work and not much else. And uh, the irony being is that this little chimpanzee is what begins to humanise him. So this scene was pretty important. Where's my car keys? And I love this part of the story. Um, I love the fact that you've got a man who's sort of going backwards in terms of, of who he once was, and he's regressing into this world of lost memory and, and physical breakdown. And that's a nice contrast to this, this baby chimpanzee that's it's going the other way. He's, he's progressing, he's evolving. He's soon to be seen, you know, uh, proof of, of real intelligence. Well, look at this. How old is he? Like a day old? A great little glance that I, I, I noticed in some screenings has always elicited a real, a real response, a real warmth from the audience. And those little touches, those those moments where you know, especially in here where this is not performed by um, by Andy. The next shot will be. Andy's performance from here on in, as this door opens, this is now Andy. And it is interesting, you know, you, you're relying purely on the actor for for the soul of a character. It's up to Weta to make that character then look as realistic as possible. By 18 the movements, that sort of little imbalance there, that imperfection, that comes from human performance. It doesn't come from you know, very often animators are looking for perfection and that's what makes it actually imperfect or unbelievable. Designed for children eight years and up. And this is his rear window. This was his window onto the world, the, the world that he wanted to be a part of. Skills that far exceed that of a human counterpart. And that's so important, that, that moment there, that, that, that carries all, us all the way through the story, this, this, this sort of motif of home, what is home. That a, the green in his eyes indicates that the ALZ-112 was passed genetically from mother to son, and B, that in the absence of damaged cells that need... We shot this, I think, in between setups, just on a video camera, with Andy at the table, just, just improvising various things. He's a comic genius as well as every other aspect of genius he possesses, but he's, he's got... You know, he's got that ability just to, to improvise brilliantly. I can't do this anymore. He belongs in a home. This is no way. Faithful words of the um of the of the helper, you know. This is no way for him to live. This is what sets uh, Will on his path, which is really to do something that no, no scientists would do normally or should do, I guess, and that is try their own research on, on somebody that, you know, is close to them or 
that is not yet authorized. He's jumping the shark here. He's, he's sort of, it's that, sort of, it's the early Dr. Frankenstein moment. Kind of always wanted to transition between these scenes as seamlessly as possible to, to again just the sense of flow of this part of the story keep it as fluid as possible these events take place in potentially what could be sequences and i wanted to keep everything bound together uh, visually there's very little dialogue in this film large part due to the fact that this is the story of, of real apes but even in the um in the human moments. So it was for me all about telling this story as visually as possible, which is um, a lot of fun, quite a great challenge in many ways to be able to do that. And you know, you need a great cinematographer to work with you in order to achieve that. And I had that in Andrew Lesney, but he's a really good example. For example, here, this is a man who's suffering from Alzheimer's. You know, we're dealing with themes that are quite challenging and they're themes also that are potentially quite dark. and. It was always Andrew's intention to light it very, very much about the world outside, the, the the brilliance of the world, and as such, it's a nice contrast. It's not a, it's not bleak. It's in fact very uplifting, I think. Dad. Dad. His attic, which was an, yet another set, we had to. There are three levels to this house, but we had to build each um, each level of the house independently so that we could get our equipment in easily. Um, so these connections, that shot, for example, where he swings down from the attic into this floor, they're two different sets. Uh, always a challenge when you're trying to combine shots. I see, you need more than one treatment a month. Something amazing is that. You need a blood test. This is the awakenings moment. Yeah, and the dosage will have to be carefully monitored. Really. Now, if I can sneak some... I will! I'm not sick anymore. If you think of a film or a story like Awakenings, there are drugs out there that can have instantaneous reaction. And uh, we needed that moment. We needed that overnight recovery to sort of to, to work within our story, but also just to give a sense of the miracle of what, what Will has achieved. And, and that is a cure for him, not only for his father, but, to, but potentially, you know, all, all, um, all Alzheimer's sufferers. Caesar! Meanwhile, Caesar's on his own quest, and that's um, that's to get out, that's to evolve. And I was always interested in the in the bicycle. I wanted to explore that a little more, actually. But uh, such are the vagaries of, of of timings and edits that we had to cut it a little bit. I see that animal anywhere near my house or my kids again? It's not dangerous. It won't happen again. Damn right, it won't. I wanted him to discover things that we, in our own evolution, have discovered, such as the use of the wheel. How does it work? Maybe even fire. Those kind of things. I told you not to go out without us. Oh, God. It's okay. How bad is it? And I like the cause and effect aspect of this part of the story. It's always pushing us forward. It's Caesar's injured, he's broken out of the house, he's, he's been kept in prison basically in this place and now he's forced to go into the outside world and Will has to smuggle him in 
to the zoo and find a veterinarian to help him enter the wonderful Frida Pinto. He likes you. Mm -hmm. Don't worry. It'll be over soon and we can go get a treat. I think this scene actually uh, is very indicative of, of the charms of Frida Pinto in terms of what she can achieve. She's very natural. She's very, you know, that face is so open. And uh, she's sort of, for me, a little bit like a young Julie Christie. She's one of those, she's an actor that's very unformed, actually. She's not trained. She's, you know, she brings a great deal of her own personality to, to roles. She happens to, to be incredibly beautiful as well. But I think she's also, she's got a real freshness to her. And it's exactly what we needed for this movie because we wanted, I guess you could say, we wanted a Dr. Doolittle, somebody that was going to come in that, to, to be the voice of these animals, to, to, to sort of represent, you know, a love for them. And um, that's a nice contrast to the, to the slightly dry scientist that Will is at the beginning of this movie. And, uh, and it's Caesar that brings them together in this scene. <laughs> I know <laughs> Caesar, come on. Good to see you again, Caroline. <laughs> you coming, Caesar? So, what's your secret? Oh, I, I can't take any credit. It's in his genes. Oh, I think you're being very modest. He's pretty amazing. <laughs> I think you've you've built a pretty good home for Caesar here. No, he the words she speaks here are the words that carry through our film and. To... Lay the foundations for for Planet of the Apes. How's he been doing? Okay, that's fine. I think. I love chimpanzees. I'm also afraid of them, and it's appropriate to be afraid of them. <laughs> it's that classic moment in all in all monster movies where the guy who's seen the beast comes running to those that haven't, saying. You have no idea what is out there. It's 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 that, but in human form. <laughs> I know a place right across the bridge, the redwoods. It's a paradise. Caesar's now going to be given his his freedom and shown shown a place not dissimilar to where his mother came from. And that's obviously key to our story because this film is an escape film. It's it's about a, a group of apes looking to get back to a place where they feel like they belong and, and, and this is the place. Come on, Caesar! It's the Redwoods! The Redwoods, north of San Francisco. It's a, it's a great city to have set this film in, and and I and I realized as I, as I, went along that the screenwriters have been very clever in setting it here because it's one of those. One of those few urban metropolises that that is directly adjacent to a, um, you know, one of the most beautiful parts of the world, and and they're bound, they're joined by the Golden Gate Bridge. Come on, Caesar. Off you go! I have a, 
a reference photograph that I use for this, of just the size of these trees. A couple of, um, couple of tree surgeons, I think they were, or maybe even just tree climbers hanging from harnesses from one of these massive redwood trees. And I wanted to, to sort of echo that with, with this image here of this little chimpanzee climbing this immense structure. And it's 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 his it's his throne, or what will become his throne, I suppose. This scene to me represents exactly what Weta are all about. I mean, we wanted to show the evolution of Caesar in one one unbroken sequence, and I think all aspects of our production combined magnificently to do that. The music here by Patrick Doyle is 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 quite wonderful. obviously the closest incarnation of Caesar to, to Andy. No offense, Andy, but you know what I mean. What's going on, buddy? <sighs> Is that a chimpanzee? That CG created character right there expressing all of that emotion is, is not in fact there. It's, it's Andy in a gray leotard. Already, you know, I, I guess you could call this just the beginning of Act Two. This is the adolescence of uh, of Caesar, or more so, actually, the early adulthood, the late teenage years of, of Caesar, where he's beginning to question things. The noose around his neck, the leash, all of that. Let's go. You getting in? Caesar? It's a wonderful bit of improvisation there from Andy Circus. Just choosing to get in the back of the car instead of the, the boot. You okay, pal? That pull of the collar, something that we wanted to... You know, we're, it's, all, it's all about, am I a pet? You're not a pet. What am I? Who's my father? I'm your father. What is Caesar? Caesar, this is where I work. This is where you were born. Your mother was here with other chimpanzees. Just holding on, I mean, some of these shots, uh, I made the choice just to hold unbroken shots because it allowed Andy that, that opportunity to, to express everything that was going on inside of Caesar's head without having to verbalize or without needing to verbalize because he couldn't. He's a chimpanzee. He's a humanzee in many ways, but he ultimately is one that needed to convey his emotion through expression. And so I needed the camera to, 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 I suppose, remain faithful to that and 
and follow that for as much as one possibly could. Let's take him home. to me. All right. I snuck him out of the lab to save his life. I had no idea that the effects had been transferred vertically from his mother. But since then, he's been displaying incredible signs of intelligence. I designed the 112 for repair. But Caesar's gone way beyond that. Here's his IQ from last year. My little uh, question here is how the hell has Frida not asked this question, Caroline not asked this question after five and a half years? It's it's one of those things where hopefully the narrative will uh, allow that 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 pothole in the road to be filled quite nicely. But it's it is an issue, and and it's one that we struggled with to make sense of. But the priority for me was always about what was going on between between uh, Caesar and his own self reflection, his own questioning that's going on up up in the attic, and and also how he fits into this human world. He's neither one thing or the other at this point. He thinks of himself as a human, but he happens to look like a chimpanzee. Caesar, eat your food. Silent scene. But just says everything about the sudden change in fortunes of, of Charles's health and this drug has now stopped working. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Antibodies. His system has found a way to fight the 112 virus so that it can't deliver its therapy. My father's disease is going to return with a vengeance. Again, the brilliance of the world outside can also be searing hot, can also be, you know, blinding, I suppose. And, and that's what we wanted to um, show through the lighting. Darkened interior, stepping out into the bright light. And that bright light can also be dangerous. That's a little uh, nod towards... Um, what everybody knows. Um, I wanted to actually, there's, it's not just that in some ways, actually, it also represents liberty, obviously, and Caesar is, is not free. He's, he's trapped in an attic. Um, also, it displays his intelligence, building a model. So, here we go. This is the real turning point. Love the fog on the glass again, all created by Weta. When you have a a CG rendered character, everything they touch, everything that they breathe onto, actually therefore also needs to be computer generated. It's that sort of marriage between the real world and their world, and so much detail involved. What are you gonna do with you? I'm not going to stay right there. 
this is just to reiterate, this is Andy again, you know, this is Andy straddling David, smacking him with his fists. I think actually Andy's first day on set. It's a tough scene in some ways because we wanted to obviously show the strength of Caesar, that animalistic nature that he falls back on when he wants to protect his own. But also, you can't turn him into a monster. He's our protagonist. And that's the finger that was jabbing at Charles, so... Long debates over whether that finger should come off or not. I'm actually quite pleased we didn't in some ways, because I think it would have perhaps turned it to a point where we would have turned off from Caesar. And it's that, that human realization right there that he's done wrong and needs to get back to the security of his family. But it's too late. It's okay. It's okay. I didn't mean it. It's okay. And it's sort of seeing that John Merrick moment in The Elephant Man. I was trying to echo in many ways here, just seeing those that he felt he belonged to now see him as a as a freak, as an outsider, as something something threatening. But he's still an innocent. He still doesn't really understand what's happening to him. And his trust is completely in it in his in his surrogate father Will. As you can see in this moment here. It's fine. Let him Bring him in when you're ready. Enter the great Brian Cox. Thank you. I think it's the coffee cup that does it for me in that moment. Sets up exactly the kind of character we're going to be dealing with. Not right now. It's going to be OK. Let's just see what it's like inside, OK? Come on, Susan. Just go. Come on. Trust but this hand gesture here, something that comes back in the film, that nature of trust. Okay. The cages that we're about to see, in some ways, I suppose, represent the real prison. What was quite interesting about designing this set was that we thought about the idea of creating what is seemingly a bucolic world or a world that, uh, that is good for these apes, that is, uh, represents who they who they are and where they should be, but actually is plastic, is fake, is isn't real. This sun that he's about to the sunset he's about to run towards, he hits a wall. It's that sort of Truman Show moment, I suppose. So it's not all it's cracked up to be. And we debated as well about the clothing. We thought we didn't want to make a movie every which way but loose in terms of turning Caesar into a into a comic comedy character. We thought, you know, he's gonna wear the he's gonna wear the old clothes that uh, Will would have worn. You're gonna stay here now. No. We're not going home right now. Those clothes represent 
humanity and, and as they're gradually stripped away both by the other apes and, and himself, they show his return to his own species. You'll probably miss him more than he'll miss you. Brilliant scene um, from a performance point of view, I think, with, with Andy and, and, and James here and, and Frida. Coming back soon. Call ahead before you do. Hey, over here! Hey, I can get you out! Come on! Over here! And it's always about the sense of betrayal. Here he's being betrayed yet again, yet he's so trusting. Yet he still doesn't get it. And I think that's what makes us really root for him. It's what I wanted. We want him to be okay because he's so, he's so believing. He believes in all of our best instincts. Yet now he's with his own kind, and it's important to represent them to him, as far as he's concerned, as savages. And that'll soon change. Again, just the visual transitions, just keeping everything going. I mean, we're now into act two, and that sort of free-flowing nature visually that I, want, I was just always trying to find. Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna go back in your computer, you're gonna shift things around, and you're gonna get me a date for my appeal this week. You got it? I can't help you. All right, then we have a problem, because I'm not moving until you do. 90 days, sir. Be thankful you're talking about court dates. You're lucky they didn't put that animal down. Now, that lady there, Karen Conovell, is also the actress that plays Maurice. I, I asked her to come back and play a human, really, because she's just a great actress. So for her to play a small role like that was a was a great opportunity for us. Um, but yeah, she is Maurice. Her father's immune system continues to reject the 112 virus, rendering the gene therapy obsolete. His health is deteriorating, and the disease is progressing rapidly. I need a more aggressive virus strain, a faster delivery method, because at this rate, can't lose them both. Probably would have shot this scene very differently with hind in hindsight. I, I, I was battling a lot of things actually on this day, but I think um, that too, the one thing I feel like I, I could have done more of is, is really bond Caroline and Will in terms of their relationship. They're too distant from each other. And that scene sort of is representative of that. I mean, she should really have her arms around him and be trying to encourage him to come to bed and but I think yeah, it's it's also it also works to a certain extent because it's this story's Caesar's story and it's Will's story and the, and their relationship and I think um, I think we needed the clarity uh, actually in some ways I mean what's wonderful about so many of these actors playing these human roles is they're all supporting one thing and that's that's the story and, and not all actors are happy to do that a lot of ego-free performances here. You did what? You did what? beat the disease. 
like we predicted. Bring him in. It's been a complication. Well, does it work or doesn't it? My father's disease eventually outran the cure. Oh, for goodness sake. His immune system produced antibodies that beat the viral component. It's interesting because I suppose you've got right here from a script point of view, you've got a divergence in the storylines. And we are, we're asking of what we're asking of the audience here is to follow now two different trajectories. Will's personal mission, which is to keep his father alive. But at the same time, he needs to he needs to free Caesar. He needs to rescue Caesar. Now, those it's quite challenging to find a way to achieve that. But also we've got to be following Caesar's story. And, and that's really where we're headed. Caesar's story, Caesar's journey. Improved. You mean increased intelligence? This is something that, you know, it's gone off on a different tangent, the storyline here, but it's ultimately going to find a way back into Caesar's story. And that was actually very interesting as to how to make that work. And, and I feel like we've done, done pretty well. So back to Caesar's story, and, and it, it, it's sort of like two different storylines running parallel to each other. And I suppose visually as well as narratively, it was always a way of trying to find a way to complement each other, both through the lighting and the tone and the, the action within each moment. Go on. Don't you know food when you see it? Jamie Harris in the background, the great Jamie Harris playing Rodney, Richard Harris's son. I'll show you something funny. To learn who's boss soon enough. Does a wonderful job with a part that doesn't have a lot of dialogue. He's the, the sort of, the innocent nature of you know it shows the innocent qualities of human nature, the things that that Caesar relates to. You know, he feels empathy for these apes, unlike his counterpart, Dodge. Dodge is just an angry young guy. He's an angry man. this moment here this is something that we actually I think we developed this idea in, in pre-production and, and it it was always how do we show without telling Caesar can't relate his experiences to the to the other convicts to the other eight prisoners and they're not going to be listening to him anyway so how do we show him yearning for what he's lost and the idea of the window motif the attic window for, through which he looked was something that I thought really was a great representative of that. So for him to draw it on his on his cell window and then just think back to those days and that place where he wants to get back to was pretty emotional and I think it's quite successful. I counted 10 apes, correct? Yep. Good, all the way to the back. Okay. You guys are moving really quick on this. What's the big rush? First day back, you're still complaining. These apes don't want to get experimented upon. Wanted to make that clear. <laughs> um, they, don't, they don't want to sign up, whereas this guy does. Oh, He's wow. definitely a willing recruit. And you can see it in his face. He's a character that's going to go far in the, in the, in the mythology, I think. A really interesting counterpart to Caesar. He's the bad apple. No. 
Yeah, this guy's seen the inside of a whole lot of labs. He knows the drill. Thought I'd join you. Watch our progress. Get him prepped. Oh. Tighten your masks. Ask me the one thirty. This scene's so representative of what what Weta can now achieve. When you look at these close-ups, that one right there. Look at that. Quite amazing. Aerosol delivery in place. Chris, who plays Cobra, he's lying on that table, giving exactly the same expression. Just doesn't look like that. Releasing the one thirteen. This shot here actually is something I took from Gladiator. That shot where he's coming up the tunnel into the Colosseum. Sound of all of the, the, the crowd and the deafening roar. Here's Rocket, Terry Notary. There's Cornelia, Devin Dalton. Here, he's the alpha of this bunch. Doesn't know what this is. Wants to wear it, can't figure out how, but doesn't like it. All of that that you hear right there, that's Terry. It's not, there's no, what was great was when we were sound designing with Chuck, we quickly realized we wanted to use the actors' voices for these chimps. We wanted, you know, we wanted real emotion to come through. We didn't want just to sort of random bunch of real ape sounds. I don't think the audience would have would have tuned into that. So it would have become like white noise, I guess. So so yeah, we had to we had the we had the actors actually perform not only the physical performance but uh, but also the um the audio one. And then we pitch modulated just to give it more of a a reality, I guess. All of that breathing, that's all Andy. Yeah, again, a little bit of improv on the day. We were we were actually we had some company that was going to send us a remote, a mechan a bionic arm. That that uh, Cobra was going to operate remotely, and they didn't come through in the end. They didn't send it to us. It was supposed to come from Switzerland. So we had to come up very quickly with an idea of how how's he going to display his intelligence to Jacobs. And we just thought, okay, well, it's the power of writing can be pretty powerful, and just. Uh, that knowledge of who he is, that sort of says it all.
intelligence results are remarkable. No adverse effects. Apes have amazingly strong immune systems. Yeah. All right, keep an eye on it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. These guys are more resilient than I am. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. I love this scene and what we what we did with this scene just by using these um, these opt, opt, optician you know eye testing glasses just to sort of line up against the ape's eyes and something fundamentally sci-fi about it, which I thought was uh, pretty cool. Here, the big question was, do we want sign language? And we used it sparingly. We didn't want to overdo it because, yes, Maurice is an orangutan. Yes, he's been trained in the circus. So he will have a certain level of intelligence and understanding, but we didn't want to make it too far-fetched. There is that possibility that great apes can be taught to sign, and Coco the gorilla is a good example. It's a controversial idea, but um, but one that we ran with. And right here, no need for sign. Just everything about his 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 body language says exactly what's happening to these apes. You know, these apes they go somewhere and they don't come back. Great little touch of Claude's there, just to put that that wonderful, um, again fake fake woodland mural on the on the wall. Everything about this place represents the sort of simulacrum, I guess, of of what these apes should be a, a part of, and everything alludes to freedom and 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 and, uh, and nature, but is in fact, you know, cold, hard-edged steel bars and imprisonment. What's the problem here? I'm taking him out of here right now. Not without a great example of Brian's ability to, to take a role that's not very big and just make it into something that has wonderful little mannerisms and quirks. This little glance here. Terrific. He's a really subtle actor. <laughs> And I think this scene here is really representative of what performance capture allows us now to do as filmmakers. And that's for James and Frida just to play this scene out with Andy in front of them. It's not Roger Rabbit. You know, this is Andy right there in the cage. Trust me. And that eye contact, everything that you would never get if it was just tennis balls on sticks. <laughs> Another idea that you know, we sort of ran with the idea of the window and we thought, okay, this window is going to be a great motif for, for where Caesar's headed. And the second sense, of, the second moment of betrayal, the second, the, 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 the moment he realizes Will is incapable of helping him. He may want to, 
but he can't rely on humans anymore. It's up to him. And that transition in the eyes right there, that's important. But yeah, the wiping off of the window, it's visual shorthand, I guess, for what's going on inside this chimpanzee's head. Something that we missed because of the, because some some final cuts in the movie, but the bike chain when he was going to investigate as a as a young little toddler chimp, he understood how to work that bike chain, fix it, make the wheel turn, and these these chains in the in the ranch that release the windows that it connects everything to exemplify and 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 identify this guy's um, cleverness and sort of brilliance, I guess. There's hundreds of them. This is like your own private zoo. More like a prison for hairy dudes. <laughs> They watch TV. We call it enrichment. <laughs> oh, this one's so cute. What's his name? This was a scene that we came up with. Uh, I, I thought it would be great to have a nice little pay homage to, to that great that great scene in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest when the girls come over for the night. Yeah. That the guy's called Maurice. No fun. Here. I'll show you something fun. We wanted it obviously to tie into our story and, and work on many levels, so it was a good opportunity to help Caesar set about making his trans transition and transformation and, and the rise through the ranks in this in this in this place in this prison. Hey, you're next. <laughs> Come on, let's go. Spent too much time in here as it is. Come on. Check out this guy. Hey, that one's a pain in the ass. He's special or something. This bit here, he's not just an animal. An animal would tear this guy's face off. It's like he's thinking or something. It's that stillness, using his strength, but nothing more. You okay? Well, he's not the one who attacked Hunsaker anymore. He's much more restrained and controlled. And there's a reason, which we're soon going to see. All of these uh, cages that you see, they all had to be removed for every shot we did. Incredibly time consuming. Uh, a testament to our crew, how quick they worked. But uh, there was a technical reason for doing it, which is quite laborious to explain. But uh, suffice to say, it, um, one of the, one of the um, challenges with performance capture, when, you, when you're putting a, a CG character behind, behind bars, literally, it's easier for the animators to do that when uh, they don't have to work them into all these wire mesh foreground shots. Right here, yeah, this is this is his journey now. This is his, the rise, the beginnings of the revolution, and he doesn't look to escape at this point. He's not going solo. He's he's staying with his own kind because he wants to he wants to harness his own kind. First stop, Buck. And I loved this idea that we we had here. You know, Buck's just not a you know he's not a brute. He's there's, he's sensitive. He's been stuck in this cage for years. The idea of stepping onto a substance and a surface he's not familiar with scares him. But then this 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 giving him his freedom, allowing him 
allowing him the run of the, the atrium. It's creating his loyal and most trusted ally, one that's going to stay with him all the way through the, uh, the battle that's to come. And then it's the taking down of the Alpha rocket. Love this, this echo here. That's the jerry can that Rocket used to attack Caesar with when he was beating him up, and now he's turning the tables in every way. All these scenes were really terrific to shoot, and such such good fun to to kind of work with the actors because there's no dialogue. It's it's telling the story visually. It's like making a silent movie in many ways. So everything had to come through the expression, through through body language, through through blocking, reveals revealing Buck at that certain moment. And then here, Rocket's realization that he doesn't have a choice. It's the supplicating gesture. This is the 113 aerosol, and I think what's, what's, what one needs to sort of understand came, I guess, secondary to our story in some ways, so perhaps it wasn't as fully realised as we could have done, but the 112 virus was used initially to deliver the gene therapy, to deliver the drug to make Charles better, but it stopped working. The virus stopped working, not the drug. So Will was therefore forced to develop a stronger virus, one that was potentially more unstable and, and he thought it would be faster acting if he used aerosol and that's the 113th that's the fate the fateful and the fatal virus um and it's charles's decision obviously unaware of all of that just not to go further anymore not to push it he doesn't want the drug because he's ready and uh it's it's making will aware of that that it's about the two of them it's not about cure or perpetuating his life or anything. It's about the moment of making the decision to go yourself. I wanted to keep this scene very quiet. aren't meant to be changed. You need to accept that. Hey! Hey! What's going on here? More 113 trials. We're just... No, no, we have to analyze... This transition here, I've always, I always like this because it just, it's now things are beginning to really move towards our, our climax. Fateful decisions such as the one that Jacobs is making here which is to up the, the production of the 113, multiple tests on these chimpanzees. It's a virus. We don't know the human-related effects. The drug works well. Tell him, Linda. For starters, Koba scored a perfect 15 on the Lucas Tower. Every test result verifies its effectiveness. No more tests. 
What do you try to sort of shoot this scene and some other scenes, a little bit like all the president's men, keep the camera moving, traveling through the space. When Claude built this for us, it was a perfect opportunity just to just to open the film up. A lot of this film takes place under roofs, in behind closed doors. It's not out in the world that we know it. So I wanted to give it a sense of scale. And it's hard to do that when you're dealing with stage-bound scenes. And so again, the camera work, I think, uh, helps us here. I could finish your career with one phone call. I'll save you the trouble, I quit. We will proceed without you. Look, you don't know what you're doing. These tests need to be contained. You have no idea if the 113 is stable, what kind of damage it can do to people. Well, that is why we test it on chips, isn't it? Dr. Robin, it's me, Franklin. I need to talk to you. Can you come to the door? Love Tyler Labine. He's got great range, this guy. I mean, he's a natural-born comedian. Doc! <laughs> Doc. Who the hell are you? <coughs> oh. Get out of here! I'm it's a hard moment, like, a moment to pull off and, and not make it ridiculous, and I think we... we we were on the edge, but I think it, it works. And a really nice transition then to a far more understated performance right here from Brian. Well, I can't say I approve. They're not people, you know. You gonna let them go or not? Hey, come on. Come on, we're going home. Home. Come on, we're really going. This scene right here, all of the other apes watching, trying to keep it so that we weren't aware of what Caesar's decision was going to be. And then right there. That's an idea, a great idea that um, our president of production, Ember Watts, had actually uh, during post. We shot that close up um, additionally, and it was. Well, he's got to see the leash. If he sees the leash, he knows what's coming. It's just going to be another pet again. I guess he likes it better here with his own kind. And the grabbing back of the of the leash with real glee. There we go. Yeah. scene that I suppose everyone's working against each other dramatically and by that I mean it emo emotionally I suppose Caesar's emotions are being hidden from Will's Will's sense of betrayal is behind Caesar's back Maurice is watching from a distance and then all building into this 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 moment of solidarity the sound of these apes supporting him and unlike when he was first chucked into the ranch you know the savages now they're they're they're, they're empathetic Caesar now needs to harness that and, and unite them. And, and the first thing he needs to do is, he's, he's broken Rocket. Now it's all about rebuilding him. 
And what better way to do that than cookies? A lot of back and forth on this scene, whether it should remain in the movie. I'm, I'm thrilled that it has. It's a scene that will stand the test of time, I hope. It's, it's a silent scene. It says everything about Caesar marshalling his army. Something otherwise I don't think we really would have seen in the film, so it's, it's vital for that reason. Gradual growing excitement of, of Rocket realizing that it's better to give than to take and he enjoys the popularity. <laughs> and then the hard cut to the alpha, the new alpha on the rock. Think about it, this is now probably what I will. We're not over yet, but I would say we're a good five minutes into a sequence that has not had any dialogue. It's just so unusual for a blockbuster and so unusual for this this scale of movie. It's why the storytelling, the story, the spine of this film, which is 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 the the arc of, of this this rise of a leader, is, is so strong and, and in terms of and so vital, I guess. Um, and needs to be strong in order to hold the movie together. Because if you don't believe in this guy, we're scuppered. Damn it, Rodney, you leave the hose out in the atrium again? What? No! thought Dodge would uh sort of guy that would watch Dancing with the Stars. Thought that was a nice uh, nice little touch. Yeah, right here was what we were trying to do was um just hear what we thought was Will's shallow breathing to then reveal the breathing of Caesar and not only in the moment hopefully just give it that element of unease but also just to connect these two different very different species together and how similar we can also be but yeah more importantly I guess this is um, back to the fridge 
the discovery of this new kind of uh, delivery system, which he hasn't seen before, but he quickly figures out it's aerosol. This is the morning after. This is this is the the awakenings moment of the apes. Them coming round and just feeling like there's something a little bit different. That shot there, although I think the earlier one was one of the first shots that we received from Weta. Six months, five months actually into our post-production. Up until that point, we hadn't seen any of the apes fully rendered and, and uh, it made a lot of people very happy. And these green eyes obviously being the, um, the indication that the drug is now part of them. After its launch, Earth's first manned space flight to Mars. I swear, Dodge, I'm telling the truth. Yeah, well, if you didn't take my cookies, then who the hell did, huh? I, I don't hey! Know. I, you two morons, knock it off. I'm going home. I have more peace in the goddamn ape house. Dad, I'm sorry. I swear. This scene was either gonna succeed wonderfully or fail dismally. Uh, it's a. <laughs> I never. I was hoping or praying that the audience wouldn't find this laughable, but actually just find this wonderfully unsettling and 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 in, you know. And I, I I think it's um, right here. That's Andy. And Andy's performance carried us through, as did Brian's. Shot this on one of the hottest days in Vancouver, uh, Vancouver summer last year, 2010. One of our few location shoots, actually. Mr. Franklin? Hello? 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 And I don't know if you can notice here, but we, we were just trying to get them all just to jump up onto their, their platforms all in a very uniform way, all looking at Dodge, which is pretty unsettling, I think. And then seeing this one chimp remaining Caesar. Had to have Charlton Nelson in this movie in some way. And I wanted to do that, which wasn't too gimmicky, but just, you know, a subtle reference that didn't interfere with our story. And I kind of thought Rodney is the sort of guy that would love a great old Charlton Heston movie.
the hell do you think you're doing, huh? truly iconic moment I think in this movie um, hopefully it puts the hairs on the back of your neck up but this is this is the Spartacus moment this is the beginning of the revolution sense of are you with me or against me rocket and obviously to taste freedom for the first time and to be aware of it as he now is it's a truly great moment for him <laughs> this is all part of our intention to to humanize caesar he is humane. He is somebody who represents our, our best instincts. And he's learned that from us. That sense of compassion. The fact that Rodney is, is a harmless, a harmless human. One that actually made their lives better in the circumstances. This guy, however. Right here, talking with Andy when we shot this, we didn't want him to celebrate. We didn't want him to, to sort of relish the idea of killing a human. We wanted him to just pause for a moment and realize what he's done because the moment he kills another uh, another being, a human being, is the point of no return. And uh, now there's no going back. It's, it's you know, game on. The revolution is, is, uh, is up and running. some chimp feet a very late addition we were just trying to think how are we going to convey the idea that he's been in this house no one's answering 
this is a helicopter shot in in San Francisco, um, and I, actually, bizarrely, because I, I think a few people have sort of questioned us uh, as to how on earth are they, this many apes happen to be hanging out in in the Bay Area of San Francisco, and there's as far as I know, there's close to three thousand plus chimpanzees, um, not to mention the other great apes, but in in the United States. Um, in laboratories, I think there's many more. In fact, in 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 some sanctuaries, um, and uh, there's up to I think three hundred thousand chimps in the wild. Um, but there is a primate facility in San Bruno that houses uh, close to seventy to eighty apes. So we were sticking as close to the truth as we possibly could. And this is this is an uprising in a, in microcosm. It's not a global revolution. It's Spartacus leading his his. Uh, few band of slaves to, to hopefully to freedom and that's their intention it's not to take the battle to the, to the humans at this point it's to, it's to to make it to a place where they feel like they truly belong and and uh, and that's obviously intrinsic to to Caesar's story what happened she spoke your ape he spoke needed to show these apes traveling down a suburban street with with numbers with strength with speed and and we came up with this idea of um, using the falling leaves Someone coordinate with the SFPD. Tell them we got a fatality. What is it? No worries, This is um, John, our grip on an ATV, speeding towards the entrance to Genesis Laboratories with a whole army of apes in front of him. That was uh, not an easy shot to pull off. Now these apes are united, they're marshaled, you know, they're, they're an army, and it's the freeing of the slaves moment. Freeing their brothers from bondage and imprisonment, and inevitably the freeing of Koba. Jacobs. This thought, I thought, well, okay, what's what's going to be the insignia of this revolution? What will be on their flag in future battles? And I thought it's got to be the the attic window. It's that emblem. So we uh, graffitied it onto that road sign. Here's sort of a good example, I suppose, of the fact that these apes are not looking to kill, they're looking to escape, and we wanted to get them out of the, the lab as quickly as possible. 
already. Normally these guys are quite shy. Really good scale shots, really fun to get out on the streets and, and shoot on location and certainly want to do that if we do this again more and more. are looking to get through places, to get out of this city. They're not looking to take the humans on. Many of these humans aren't looking to take them on either, but these guys are. And it's satisfying. I think it's really satisfying to see after all of this time of them being incarcerated and exploited and mistreated, this is payback. I had two really terrific second units working with me, led by Mark Vargo and, and Brian Smurz, who are intrinsic to a lot of these action sequences. They did a terrific job. Our iconic San Francisco moment, and that's where they're headed. It's the bridge to freedom. No, do not tell them I am... Probably the biggest motion capture volume or set, we could now safely call it, because we've taken it out of the volume onto the road. But uh, this is the biggest, I think it's a world record in terms of what was going on here. This is a 400-foot set of the Golden Gate Bridge, full of cars, full of stunts, 100-plus apes rampaging through. Quite a challenge. Along the bridge. They're trying to get to the Redwoods. SFPD Police One. This is Aeroff. Seal off the south end. What's the status of the mounted units? Good to go, sir. All right, as soon as they reach you. If you're going to tell the story of a species that's become evolved, become more intelligent, you want to see them use their, their brains. And, and there's a real strategy to what they do here because you quickly realize they're being entrapped. North side roadblock set up, south side, the horses are coming at them. So what are they going to do next? And it's Caesar who gives the orders, obviously, and he's sort of using the various strengths of the three groups, the orangutans and their ability to travel through what would be normally trees, but in this case, uh, metal trees, the girdles, girders of the bridge, the undercarriage of the bridge. Chimpanzees can climb high, and the gorillas can use their strength. Turn that thing around. 
Get off this bridge, sir. You don't understand. You don't understand. Get off this bridge now. This is an evacuation. Get out. All civilians clear. Please confirm. Get these people off the bridge. And I always wanted to bring in beast harnessing beast in terms of the humans on horseback at this point who are looking to hunt down the uh, the animals but something we couldn't have done realistically in the opening scene even though that would have echoed perhaps better the original film but African poachers don't operate on horseback I think this was a far better place for it <laughs> There was a lot of debate about how many apes we hit. Interestingly, people are more prepared to see humans attacked than animals. And we wanted to show just enough in, in order to understand that this is potentially a, a massacre, as Will says, but Caesar's able to turn the tables. That's a shot that took a long time to get right and set up. That's a real horse, obviously, and to have a horse be able to stop very quickly and rise up. And obviously we couldn't have Richard playing Buck impact upon the horse for safety reasons um, and for the sake of the horse. So we had to do that without anybody there. It was one of the few moments where there is no ape in the shot and then we had to put him in afterwards. That's Wolfie, sadly. Wolfie was one of the ones that if you look back to when they wake up the morning after being given the drug is one of the guys in the cage next to Rocket. So poor old Wolfie didn't make it. But we were trying to track a lot of the supporting apes along the way that if you ever look back and watch the film, you'll see some apes that you recognize. He was also the guy that took out the uh, CCTV camera when they attacked the lab. I'm afraid to say this is a direct paying homage to Zulu, the moment where you hear the, the sound of the enemy through the fog or out of sight. And it's much more unsettling than perhaps seeing them. Here's the gorillas led by Buck using their strength and it's that sort of Trojan horse idea. We wanted to again give the sense that these apes are really using their brains to, to throw the humans off. On the side of a 10-ton truck coming towards you, I don't think any of these guys would consider apes as their enemy.
I wanted to make this movie, I guess, because when I saw the first film and I saw that ape on horseback, it gave me nightmares for weeks. So I wanted to find a way to work into this story to see exactly that in this film. And I think Caesar riding that police horse, giving the order for the pincer movement to start and the attack to begin was the perfect place to do that. quite a scene in which, again, very little dialogue, trying to tell everything visually. I've learned so much making this film, all for the good, I think, in terms of cinema as a visual medium, so why not use it? We made a choice here, right here, just to take the score out, and I think it works much better without the score at this point. It just gives us that moment of reality, that moment of threat that this helicopter poses. just using the chains with which they've been manacled for you know years and years against their enemy. And this is the key moment. It's the reason why I think they're gonna build a statue to Buck in years to come, because he's their savior. He's the ape that changes history. We thought long and hard about whether we wanted there to be some sort of communication here. I decided against it. I felt like it would have been too much. And it's just the very sense of Buck being cradled by Caesar and the understanding that he did this for Caesar because of being given his freedom. That I think is the real emotions at the moment. Coming up here, there were many discussions. Is it Caesar that ends Jacobs? And I'm so glad that we decided to go this way because I feel like uh, Caesar's not the monster. It's this image here, the, the curling of his hand, the pulling away of his hand. No longer is he going to take the hand of a human. Will aside, obviously. But just that nod to the one that will relish the moment. And obviously, Jacobs and Cobra have history. Caesar and Jacobs don't. And I'm thrilled that we shot it this way and it's quite a way for your villain to go out. Yeah. 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 
And I'm really excited about what's to come in terms of the relationship between Cobra and Caesar, because they're two such different individuals, and they're going to perhaps need each other. There's going to be a, some sort of uneasy truce in the future that has uh, been necessary, I guess, for the conflict that's to come. Yeah, this scene is all about one moment. And it's this one right here. It's the giving of the hand, the offering of the hand. The same gesture that Will did many times to the younger Caesar, the more innocent Caesar. So this time the roles are reversed. Caesar, I'm sorry. Sort of wonderful in many ways because it's father-son relationship is still there but they're also looking at it, each other from two very different points of view one represents humanity and one represents the rise of the apes and that future and home is so much part of this come home i'll protect you and he knows that's not the case he knows that home is not where will is And we felt like we'd earned that. We felt like that Gilda the Lily and have these apes talk to an unreasonable extent. We felt like just giving Will the opportunity to see that his son, as well as his creation, had that ability and, and the look of recognition on Will's face when he hears those words, both from the point of view of what Caesar says, but also the fact that he said it. That I felt was really key to this ending and this story. the rise of the apes and this is the same piece of music the same score as when he climbed the tree before it's an uplifting one it's a wonderful swear we wanted to go out we didn't want to try and echo the the original film we didn't want to set up any sense of doom or dread we wanted this to be about the apes and who they were and so the fact that he's able to ascend to the top of the tree that uh, represented freedom to him that's kind of what it's all about so it was a great way to end the movie especially with his army behind him.
But of course, there is more to come. And uh, we definitely needed to just lay the groundwork for how are we going to level the playing field. The next part of the story, which is the real conflict between humans and apes on a far bigger scale. Where we start that story remains to be seen, but my guess is it'll be uh, a generation after. In human years, uh, that's eight years for a chimpanzee, or any ape actually, I think um, most apes reach adulthood by the age of eight. So we're setting up um, perhaps why humanity is going to be uh, vulnerable enough for this ever-growing army of intelligent apes you know, and their offspring to be able to take us on. And our friend Mr. Hunsecker is the reason. terrific idea to just incorporate the spread of the virus through the credit sequence. That's in large part down to Picture House, who did our credits. So yeah, huge, huge amount of fun making this movie, huge challenges, and hopefully we'll be doing it again. But yeah, thanks, thanks so much for watching and um, thank you for giving us this opportunity. Hope to uh, talk to you again. Yeah.